This is Backstory, the show that turns to history to understand the America of today. I'm Peter Runoff, your guide to the 18th century. I'm Ed Ayers, guide to the 19th century. And I'm Brian Bellow, guide to the 20th century. We're talking today about the conflict between science and religion, something that, as we've been hearing, didn't really take shape until well into my century. But by 1925, at least in the little town of Dayton, Tennessee, it was all-out war. Darwin took us forward to a hilltop from where we could look back and see the way from which we came. But for this insight and for this knowledge, we must abandon our faith in the pleasant poetry of Genesis. We must not abandon faith! This is a clip from Inherit the Wind, the 1960 film inspired by the Scopes trial 35 years earlier. Here, defense lawyer Henry Drummond, based on the real-life Clarence Darrow, is squaring off against Matthew Brady, himself based on the trial's celebrity prosecutor and three-time presidential candidate William James Bryan. What your client is wrong. He is deluded. He has lost his way. It's sad that we don't all have your positive knowledge of what is right and wrong, Mr. Brady. In the real-life version, high school teacher John Scopes was convicted of violating a Tennessee law banning the teaching of human evolution. And he and Darrow never got the chance to appeal on constitutional grounds, so the law remained in place for another 42 years. But what the trial did do was strike a mortal wound to the image of fundamentalism in the United States. And the anti-evolution movement kind of shriveled away. Or, at least, that's what a lot of people thought. The truth is just the opposite. This is historian Ronald Numbers in another excerpt from Brian's conversation with him. William Jennings Bryan died four or five days after the trial. He became a martyr to the cause. There were far more anti-evolution bills introduced in state legislatures after the trial than had been before the trial. It wasn't until 1928, roughly, that the organized movement started petering out. All the states that were going to pass anti-evolution laws had done so, there was no sense in reintroducing a bill for the third time. So it just died a more or less natural death. And what happened then was that the fundamentalists who still in the 20s had hoped to capture the mainstream churches and religious colleges threw in the towel and started building up their own empire. And so they disappear, it seems like. But they're really working hard behind the scenes. They're starting the Bible School Movement and Bible Institute of Los Angeles. Moody is thriving. and uh, That's the Moody Bible Institute? Correct. Uh-huh. And others like that. Right. You have fundamentalists on radio. Exactly. They grab a hold of radio right away. So they reappear in the 1960s as though, you know, they're like Lazarus, but actually they had been working really hard for decades. That's Ronald Numbers, historian of science at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We'll hear more from him later in the show. Ronald Numbers mentioned the Moody Bible Institute as an example of the fundamentalist institutions that thrived in the decades following Scopes. Well, in 1937, Moody became the home base for a California pastor named Erwin Moon. 
For years, Moon had been traveling the country, drawing huge crowds to lectures that were part religious sermon, part science demonstration. But Moon soon realized he could hit a lot more people with the help of modern technology and started producing short film versions of his shows. They were a big hit and actually did manage to cross over into the mainstream. From 1947 to 1948, at least two and a half million people saw Moon's films, and by the mid-50s, some 400 public school systems across the country were using them as teaching tools. Backstory producer Catherine Moore sat down to watch some of the films and brought back this report. Power. Lights. On. That's a million volts of electricity shooting from the fingers of an evangelist preacher. This demonstration of electrical resonance from the film Facts of Faith earned him the nickname Million Volt Man. Dr. Irwin Moon spent his life demonstrating another kind of resonance, too, that between faith and science. For some reason, many people seem to have two compartments in their brain. They keep their science on one side, their religion in the other, with a wall between them. They're afraid to remove the wall, fearing that their faith will be swept away by fact and hard reality. His film set in Chicago also had two compartments, divided by a wall. But there was a door between them. In a preacherly three-piece suit, he sits in his study, surrounded by leather-bound books, and preaches sermons from science. And sometimes, he puts on a lab coat and opens the door. We're going to explore the mystery of time in the laboratory. Hello, Pete. How are things going? Why, Mr. Moon? Mr. Margosian is one of our skilled technicians here at Moody Institute of Science. In 1925, religion and science battled it out at the Scopes trial. But for evangelism to remain relevant in a scientific age, Moon knew they had to make peace. Plus, after World War II, he and all Americans were living in a world that could be destroyed by science. According to Moon, we had a choice. Atomic science could be used for good or for evil. Who will decide which it shall be? Well, one thing is certain. Science alone can't decide it. And now as never before. We see the importance of faith, of righteousness, and of humility before God. Principles upon which this country was founded. And the only principles upon which it can continue to exist. The U.S. military agreed. In 1947, it launched a mandatory, religiously-oriented education program called Character Guidance. Chaplains used the Moody Institute films to teach morality, spirituality, and citizenship to troops. Public school teachers used the films to teach science. After Sputnik's launch in 1957, Congress passed the National Defense Education Act to close the brain gap with communist Russia. Among other things, it boosted funding for audiovisual equipment for teaching science. It just so happened that Moon was producing some of the most innovative instructional films out there, just as AV equipment began whirring and flickering in classrooms all over America. Even the microscopic world has its comedians. These little fellows are just about as funny as they come. One of the most intriguing discoveries in modern science is the fact that there is nothing in this world that even approaches what might be called truly solid. Say, what's this? Looks like something out of a nightmare, doesn't it? And it could be if you dream of bats. Have you ever wondered what goes on in the brain of a homing pigeon? 
Somewhere within its tiny head is locked a secret no man has ever seen. This is a wonderful world. But perhaps the greatest wonder of all is man himself. Moon's explanations of nature, so full of wonder, simultaneously invoked reason and mystery. Have you ever wondered about the peculiar shape of the red blood cell? Someone has described it as a cross between a donut and a pancake. In The Red River of Life, Moon's lab team creates a formula to describe the ideal red blood cell shape. Then they submit it to a room-sized IBM supercomputer to see what shape it spits out. All that remains is to push the right button, and the answer to our problem appears on the oscilloscope screen. The image on the screen exactly matches the geometry of a red blood cell. Its perfect engineering demanded an explanation. And to me, the only adequate explanation is intelligent design. It would seem that if a man wants to believe in God, he has, just within the red blood cells of his body, at least 30 trillion very good reasons for doing so. For Moon, empirical study of the universe amassed evidence of God. And buried in scripture, he found scientific truth. The book of Leviticus, chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And again in the 14th verse, for it is the life of all flesh. The blood of it is for the life thereof. The Bible probably has more to say about the blood and its importance than any other book ever written outside of a textbook on hematology. When Moon peered through a microscope at a red blood cell, he looked through two lenses. One was the physical lens, revealing a nifty biconcave disc. The other was the invisible but equally powerful lens of faith. The second lens may have had little to do with science, but like science, it had everything to do with truth and certainty in an unsettled world. Reverend Moon's film set had two compartments, but between them was a door. That's Backstory producer Catherine Moore. We'll post links to a few of Moody's films at backstoryradio.org.